time with. And it just seems like it's a natural for them. And on the other hand, there's those folks that look like you're almost positive they were weaned on a dill pickle. Their glass is always half empty, and they just kind of bog down. And sometimes, in fairness, that's us too. And we have to be careful about that. And you wonder about these folks over here, how do they, how do, they do that? What's their trick? And it could be they have one. I want to introduce a verse to you this morning that Paul was writing to the church in Rome and um, he's telling them a lot of things, a lot of good advice in the 12th chapter of Romans. But this morning I want to focus on one specific verse. Romans 12, 12, he says, rejoicing in hope. That's being happy in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Three points I want you to see in that verse, three points. I also put it up there in the NIV. I happen to like the NIV sometimes, the way it, it's worded. To be happy, patient, and faithful in prayer. Those three things. And I want to introduce to you this idea that the joyful life is based on hope. If you're not happy this morning, very likely you're running low on hope. Very likely that's it. <clears throat> Some people have the concept that joy is based on that their happiness is based on maybe their uh, hereditary. I'll forget to forward this thing. Personal temperament. Some people just naturally happy. Some people just naturally not so happy. And maybe it's the way they was raised, the way they came up, uh, life circumstances. And these things do affect all of us. We are all a product of what? Our environment. This is true. We accept that. But it's not entirely those things. Not entirely. You see, the Bible teaches us something along this line. And look at these first two verses. Paul writing there to the church in Thessalonica, he says, rejoice always. Now, was he writing that to just the folks that's always naturally got a glass half full and things are going good? Or did he write it to everybody? He wrote it to everybody, didn't he? He wrote it to the folks that, uh, well, for different reasons, maybe they not naturally as upbeat all the time as maybe we should be. And I would go a little step further here with this now. Watch me. Are this, is this an option that Paul is giving the church in Thessalonica? Is it an option? No, I think it's a lot closer to a command. Let's look at the next one. He wrote to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. When we see something repeated like that, it's for emphasis. If you didn't hear me the first time when I told you to get happy, then maybe you heard me the second time. See, that's what he's doing there. He's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's telling them, be happy. 
Sometimes it's hard to be happy with all our blue roofs and COVID, isn't it? Yeah, but I think we have a responsibility. Think about it. It's easy to say everything is good when things are good. That's easy. That's not a challenge, is it? But it's not so easy to say that when things are bad. But I would submit to you with the first two verses that you're looking at that the Bible says, no, we are to be happy all the time. Sometimes we're under some duress. In 1 Peter, uh, we read there where Peter's writing to the Christians in Asia Minor, and he says this, But insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that is, you're under some affliction, that is, not everything is going real good, he goes on to say what? Be happy. Rejoice. That's what he says. And you'll find teachings like this throughout Scripture. We don't have time to look at all of them, but I think we get the point. It's clear that we have an obligation as Christians to get happy. For some of us, it's a natural. It comes easy to us. For others, well, we just have to work at it a little harder. But we have the same obligation. Remember that. Remember that. Let's go on a little bit further. Let me uh, look at something. True joy is able to rise above the circumstances of life. The true joy associated with God. Paul wrote to the church in, uh, I'm sorry, Paul wrote, I'm sorry, the Hebrew writer, who I believe is Paul, wrote to the church in Jerusalem, which is largely dispersed, and we refer to them as the Hebrews here. Now, that's my opinion, of course. But the Hebrew writer wrote to the, uh, the Hebrews, for ye both had compassion on them that were in bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your possessions. Now that's the American Standard Version. The King James, I think, will say, you took joyfully the confiscation of your possessions. The church in Jerusalem was driven largely out of existence, and the people who were scattered everywhere and they had lost their identity, they'd lost their possessions, they'd lost everything. They'd been persecuted all but out of existence there in Jerusalem. And I think that's who this was written to, by Paul, I might add. They had been persecuted out of everything. And yet he tells them, be joyful. Peter wrote to the Asia Minor Christians, same situation, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, ye have been put to grief in manifold trials. They too had been persecuted, and yet the same instructions from Peter was to be happy. Not an option, a responsibility. Sometimes... It's hard to keep our chins up and a spring in our step when things are not going good, right? The uh, 
key to joy, if you'll remember our reading a while ago, is hope. Hope. Rejoicing in hope. Let me tell you a little story. I grew up just north of De Quincey and I went to school at Singer, a real nice place to go to school. I was a pretty good student. Uh, I didn't make straight A's, but close. Real close if it wasn't for English. I didn't like it. I didn't care for it. I couldn't care less about a dangling participle or some of those other things that that poor lady was trying to cause me to understand. And she was a good teacher. The problem wasn't her. I know where the problem was. I was bored with all of that. But I had to sit in that class and listen to her, and she knew I didn't like it. But I'd look out the window every now and then, and Highway 27 went by. And every now and then I'd look, and there'd go a truck with a boat behind it. And I'd zero in on that, and I'd start thinking. And see, they had just impounded Toledo Bend, 1966, and you could go up there, and I believe without bait on your hook, catch a white perch, you could just catch them hand over fist. And we'd been up there a number of times, and I'd be sitting up there in that classroom, particularly in the, the, the last half of the year because I was burnt out with school by then anyway. And I'm looking out there and I see that truck and I go to thinking about going fishing at Toledo. And then I start thinking about all the things that I do come summertime. I'd be thinking about going out to my grandmothers who I love dearly and who catered to us boys and did all kind of things for us boys. And I'd go out there every summer and spend a couple of weeks and just get into all kinds of fun and we'd go up to the camp and do a little camping and there was watermelon to eat, and I'd go down to the creek to the swimming hole. Can you see the picture? That's where my mind went. And I was sitting up there, and I know that teacher thought I'd either lost my mind or something because I was back there smiling. <laughs> and she knew something was up. But you see how I got through English class, and I should have paid more attention. And I got to be careful here because I married an English teacher. And I got to go home with her, and I don't want to lose my kitchen pass. But how I got through that English class, and maybe some of the other classes at times, was I began to look out there and focus on things that I really enjoyed doing, and I was really looking forward to it. And that became my hope to get me out of that class or through that hour period of class. Folks, we have to have hope. We got to be able to look out there and see something. You see, summer is coming for all of us. Summer was coming for me sitting in that English class, but it's coming for all of us somewhere out there. Let's look at the rest of that verse uh, the Hebrew writer uh, gave us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. Let's read it and, and see the rest. It says, for you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves, here's the hope, that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. How did those Hebrew people take the confiscation of their possessions? They were looking beyond. They were looking out there. They could see something and they locked onto it and they could see it clearly. And it's what they were hoping in. And that's so important if you want to be happy. 
regardless to what you're doing. My example of hope in an English class, every one of you have experienced it in your own lives some way or another. And we do the same thing. We're challenged to do the same thing in our relationship to God. Let's look at 1 Peter, and I'll give you the verse ahead of the one we read a while ago. He says, who by the power of God are guarded through faith unto a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what they were focusing on, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you're put to grief in manifold trials. Folks, we have to have hope. And hope is that thing that we're looking for out there. And for the New Testament Christians to stand before the judgment seat of God and hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's our hope. That's what we're striving for. And we have to focus on that. We have to stay focused. And in that, we can have joy in the service to God. So important, that hope. To be joyful, we must have hope. And if we're not joyful, maybe we are preoccupied with something here in this old life. We're just passing through. We're like Abraham. We're just traveling through. The Hebrew writer also tells us that it's a Pointed unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. You and I, at some point in time out there in time, are going to face that judgment. We want to be prepared. We want to be ready. We want to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we can't get caught up in the issues of this life. I know there are blue roofs to deal with. I know we have to duck and dodge with this COVID thing. And when all of that's gone, I'll assure you there'll be other things that'll get in the way and cause us problems. But we have to get our focus on things above. Things up, not things down here. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Simply said, we have to get our focus on the things that matter and fix our spiritual eyes on that. And when we get that done, we can be a happier lot of people. To be joyful in life, we must have hope. A quick lesson and some basics here. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's our word again. If you have faith this morning, it's in what? When you look at that verse and think about it, understand this. You can't have hope if you don't have faith. And if you have faith, it's in something. And the question for all of us is what? Is it something here on earth? Is it your checking account? Is it your job? Is it your title? Or is it in your salvation like the Hebrew people and the Asia Minor Christians that we read about a minute ago? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Happiness for us is in our hope. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith 
cometh by hearing. That is very important. Are we a good Bible student? Do we know what the Bible teaches us about passing through this life, what God wants us to do, what he expects of us? Are we real familiar with his many and multiple promises to us? Are we familiar with our eternal destination? Let me tell you something about when I was in that English class. I could fix my mental eyes, if you will, on my summer and all the fun I was going to have, primarily because I was so familiar with it. I knew it. I knew all the things that I'd be doing. I knew what my grandma would do for us when we got there. I knew about our camping trip. I'd made that trip to Toledo Bend. I knew it. And if you'll look at Romans 10, 17, and you want to anchor your hope on things above, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We have to know that book. We have to know that story. We need to understand the details. It's not enough to just know that good things await us out there. We need to dive into it and know it as I knew my summer vacation. We have to study if we don't know it. If our connection, maybe even this morning is less than adequate. I suggest these points to you. I hope that this does not describe anybody here in this building today. But if it does, this is a heads up. This is for all of us. If we do not read and study the word and we don't have fixed clearly in our mind what our hope really is, our faith is gonna be weak our hope will be shallow and our joy will be minimal. It's that simple. <clears throat> and moving on. <clears throat> A life of joyful hope will be patient in tribulations. Remember, that's that second point in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Patient here is just the ideal of continuing to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Move forward regardless of trials, to keep plodding along. Sometimes when we run into a problem, some people want to just sit down, say, I can't, or it's not working, or results are coming slow. But what Paul was trying to convey here is to just keep on keeping on. And sometimes it does drag us down. Sometimes it does make us weary. But it's important that we keep moving forward. That's what's meant by patience. Tri patience. Tribulations could be problems of all kinds. It could be suffering as a Christian, although I don't think we do a lot of that in this country today. But the Hebrew people that the writer was writing to had suffered it. The Christians in Asia Minor that Peter had written to certainly suffered it. We not, uh, we're not exposed to that so much. 
But we have our problems, don't we? We still have our blue roofs and our COVID masks to deal with. We have our issues, but we have to keep on keeping on. There is uh, the ideal of the athlete. The athlete goes to the weight room, if we're talking about football players, even in the spring, they're not going to play ball the way down in the fall. But they start working out. And they start doing the one-a-days and then two-a-days. And all this sweating and straining and pulling and running and jumping and all that goes on. I played basketball. I had a coach that was convinced. If you run an hour of bleachers, you need another 10 or 15 minutes to cool off. We ran bleachers till I was blue in the face. But the idea was to get us ready because our hope was that we would be successful on the playing field. But we've endured all of that, patient, tribulation, preparing ourselves and getting ourselves ready to perform on the playing field. The pilgrims left Plymouth, England in 1620 <clears throat> sailed for what, almost three months across the North Atlantic. There was another small boat that left with the Mayflower. Do you remember that? There was a small boat that left with the Mayflower. But it turned back because it was smaller. Because they had encountered rough seas. So what does that tell us? It tells us that the Mayflower, that hundred people that was on that Mayflower, that was seeking freedom from religious persecution, if you want to say it that way, pressed on in rough seas and endured that trip across the North Atlantic, patiently enduring that tribulation so that they could be free to worship as they chose. You see, they had a hope and they could see it out there in their mind's eye. And it's important that we have hope and that we strive for it because in that we find our joy. Job, in Job chapter one and verse two, in chapters one and chapters two, lost not only all of his possessions along with his family, less his wife, but he lost his health, didn't he? And he sat there and listened to the advice of his friends, which was not good advice for the most part. And he struggled with it. And they pressed him to change, and his wife pressed him to change. But I like what he said in Job 13 and 15. It's before you. Talking about God, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. We have to have hope, folks. We got to look out there and see it and desire it and do everything we can to learn about it. It's up to us. So we can get that picture clear in our minds where we're going, how we're going to get there. The promises God has made to us, and they are many, and how he will keep all of those promises. We have to have hope.
our lives will be as hopeful and joyful and patient as they are prayerful. Remember, that was the third point in that verse. Romans 12, 12, continuing steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16, and principally 17, it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. When I was coming up as a kid, I remember the elder men of the church would always come up, oftentimes get down on their knees and lead our opening prayers. And when I saw this uh, verse 17, pray without ceasing, I struggled with it as a young person. I didn't quite understand, but now I think I do. Or I know I do. The way they led prayer was uh, honorable, very solemn, very good. But we can pray in other forms. And I know that. And a verse that's helped me a lot with that is this one right here. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 20, and there are plenty of other examples. Look at that for just a minute and let me tell you what's happening. The Israelites are going up against some enemies, or some of the tribes of Israel are going up against some of their enemies. And apparently the battle's not going real good, or you gather that from the writing, but look at it. I underlined what I want you to focus on. And they were helped against themselves, and the Hagrites were delivered under their hand, and all that were with them, for they cried to God in the battle. That's important. And he was entreated of them because they had put their trust in him. Let me explain. They were in hand-to-hand combat fighting for their lives with swords and spears and whatever the instruments of war were that day and time right there in mortal combat. And the Bible tells us they prayed. So you see, folks, it is possible for us to pray without ceasing. I can't think of a thing. I can't really think of a thing that I can't be doing during the day and be acknowledging God and thanking God and praying to him and asking him to forgive me of my sins along with anything else that's going on in my life. Can you? And what's happening when we're praying off and on all day long, if not constantly. What's happening? We're revisiting the fundamentals of our relationship with God. We're looking to Him as our benefactor. All good things come from God. Whatever you got that's good, it came from God. I heard the other day that most Americans, by a factor of 30, are richer than anybody else uh, on planet Earth. That's an average. We are a blessed people in a blessed nation. And when we're praying constantly, we're reminding of ourselves who God is, what he'll do for us, and that he's got a home in heaven for us. See, there's our hope. There's our hope. Our prayer life is reminding us of our hope. And that's so critical to the Christian. It ought to put a smile on your face, a spring in your step, because you really, if you're praying without ceasing, you can't get away from the ideal of who you are relative to who God is and what the relationship is. You can't get away from it. And it's so important. It's so important. We want everybody to be happy because that's what the Bible teaches us. 
That's what the Bible teaches us. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Let me conclude. We're just looking at the verse we started with, Romans 12, 12. Backwards. Our lives, lives are as joyful and as productive as they should be. If not, then continue steadfastly in prayer, remind yourself, and you'll be more likely to rejoice in hope because you have a, a hope now. You have to have hope. Focus on a hope. And that will give you the patience you need to endure whatever it is you're facing, the blue roofs or the COVID, whatever your problems are. See how easy it is when we listen to what Paul's trying to tell us, how easy it becomes to be happy. All of you ought to go out of here with a big smile on your face and a spring in your step because you see more clearly. Summer is coming for all of us. I hope that you can see God's promises as clear as you ought to. If not, delve into the Word. Thank you so much for your kind attention. If you're here and subject to the invitation, we're going to sing a song in just a minute. If you're here and maybe there's some issues in your life with happiness, let the congregation pray with you, pray for you. We need to be joyful people. We have that responsibility. Maybe you're here and you're not a member of the Lord's church. And you would like to come forth and acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. Confess Him before men. And be baptized with Him to wash away your sins. That opportunity is yours as well. Won't you come while together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.